Um, you can open your Bibles to the prophet Haggai. So if you're counting backwards, you can go Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai. That's how you find it. So go right to the middle of the Bible, find Matthew, then go backwards to Malachi, then to Zechariah, then to Haggai. It's hard to find Haggai. Um, it's page 996 in my Bible. That helps you out. So this may be a little bit more of a devotional tonight, um, and hopefully just a, a wedding of the appetite to, to think and to ponder. Um, this, this message uh, came about a little bit of a strange way. Um, sometimes it's better just to eat the sausage and know how the sausage is made, and sometimes it's helpful to know how the sausage is made. So here's how it was made. Um, I was planning to uh, preach something else tonight that I look forward to preaching soon from Psalm 110. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 110 over the next several Wednesday nights. So I would encourage you to start reading Psalm 110. I love Psalm 110. It is the most quoted psalm in uh, the most quoted Old Testament um, uh, scripture in the New Testament. So it's the most important probably psalm and scripture in the Old Testament because it points to Jesus Christ and the writers of the New Testament just grab it and use it over and over again. Uh, psalm 110 is how we know that Jesus is right now on the right hand of the throne of God. Psalm 110 tells us that um, His people will be willing the day of His power. And psalm 110 tells us that Jesus is not only the King who's ruling over all, but He's also the priest who's a forever priest after the order of Melchizedek. It's a wonderful psalm. And I wanted to start looking at it tonight, but we'll do that in a couple of Wednesday nights. We have prayer meeting this coming Wednesday night. But here's how this came together. Um, it was uh, uh, the perfect uh, juxtaposition of Handel's Messiah and a civil engineering paper. Okay? That's, no, that sounds strange. But uh, Brother Dalton mentioned Handel's Messiah uh, Wednesday night, and then I think Daddy referenced it today in the sermon. And so I just thought, this afternoon I'm going to listen to Handel's Messiah. So pulled up YouTube and, and the Sydney uh, Philharmonic Orchestra in, in Sydney, Australia has a wonderful um, rendition of that. So I pulled it up. At the same time, Luke had asked me to edit um, his uh, civil engineering project, 24-page project, which I'm completely unqualified to do, but I can find typos and missing commas and, and run on sentences. So I was doing that while I was listening. And while I was listening, the, the two worlds came together. So let me, let me explain that. By the way, one reason why I love Handel's Messiah is that it just brings to, to, our, to reality that just the, 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 uh, the scope of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So it's, yes, it's true that there was a man named Jesus who lived in real history uh, 2,000 years ago, and who died and who was, who was risen again, but he truly is uh, the center of all of history. And so Handel's Messiah works through this, uh, even some obscure prophecies, and just is building up into the promise of the Messiah who will come. And um, I just love listening to all these prophecies being pulled from Isaiah and from Haggai, different places, and just different facets of who he will be. And you begin to get just this, um, this swelling... Uh, joy at the person of Jesus Christ as he is, as he truly is. And it just sort of brings it together in one big, one big um, production. And then he comes, and you're expecting this glory to be seen and rejoiced in. And, the, and there is some of that as a child is born, a son is given. And then you get moving to that part where he is despised and he's rejected and he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grace. And really the weight of our rejection of him and our sinfulness just really comes to bear. And your heart knows, that if you know the hand of the side, you're looking forward to, to uh, he shall reign forever and ever. And so I would encourage you, uh, if you have two hours in the car or uh, maybe just uh, two hours at, at, at home and you can put some earbuds in, sometime during this next few weeks, you should pull up hand of the side and just let, it, let those words just, uh, just ring through your ears and your heart and uh, behold the person and the glory of Jesus Christ. It will do your soul good. I promise you it will. Uh, whatever sorrows are close to you. I was, at the same time, I was also talking on the phone to different ones in the forms of family. And so gr- the present grief was, was very present uh, there as well. But then the reality of Christ and his work and his, uh, his reign right now and his, his power and his coming the promise of his coming also rang true, and so it will do your soul good wherever you are. So here's how this came together. Um, 
this, this paper uh, was um, something about um, a project to recruit new civil engineering students. They're going to be wowed by this, um, this, this project that is going to show, this models that are going to show uh, seismic um, resistance. I may have part of this wrong, probably a lot of this wrong. Seismic resistance. So there are things called shaker tables that, that well, I'm sure that, I, I don't know what they are, but I'm sure they shake. They shake things. They shake uh, buildings. They shake whatever's on the table and they shake them hard. And these models are built to resist the shaking of the table. Um, and so I was just finding run on sentences. At the same time, Handel's Messiah is, is and I can't sing this, but it, it, they're, they're singing that he shall shake the earth and the heavens. And I thought, wow, this is coming together at the same time. And so I thought, well, where is that in the scripture? And um, I ran to Haggai. So I'm going to reference two main places tonight, Haggai and then Hebrews. And let's think about this shaking of the earth and the heavens. So I'm just kind of being funny about the, the, the paper, but, but we give a lot of attention, especially in our area right of the country. The New Madrid Fault is close to us. And um, there's always, since I've been born, there has uh, been the, the, the prospect of this incredible earthquake that could come right alongside this fault and could, uh, could devastate um, uh, this area. And you read about earthquakes that occur in California and other places that have this amazing um, power and amazing uh, aftershocks and after effects, and they can just shake the, shake the earth and destroy really what is there on earth. And so we try to build our buildings in a way that can resist as much as possible um, the, the power of an earthquake. Well, here the Lord says that he's going to shake the earth and he's going to shake the heavens. So what he's saying is, is that, that I have a power, I have an authority that is greater than any resistance, is greater than anything that is, that is strong and seemingly permanent and fixed and known there is nothing that is certain, no foundation that is sure that I can't shake. And he says, I am going to shake the earth and the heavens. So let's, let's give a little bit of context here. Haggai is really broken into four parts. This book is broken into four parts. So let's set ourselves before we look into the text. Um, Haggai is a prophet that comes to God's people. This is after they have been exiled um, under the Babylonian captivity and then they have returned. Brother Nathan preached about this recently. They have returned. Nathan focused on the first chapter of Haggai. Well, they, have been, they have returned and they have been there for a long time. Like 15 years they had, they had been back in Jerusalem. And they had begun to live again. And they had begun to build their houses. And God, the first act of Haggai is that God is writing to rebuke them. He says, consider your ways. There's a major problem here. You have these beautiful houses and you're living in great comfort. And yet, he says, my house, the temple of God, is still in disrepair. My house is not beautiful. Your houses are beautiful. Something is wrong. You're not beholding me, the giver of all things, the way that you should. And so he rebukes them and he says, really, your, 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 your purposes are frustrated. You're not very happy. You're not, you're not fulfilled. You're not satisfied. And yet, you're continuing to pour more and more and more into yourself. Okay? That's sort of the idea. You're familiar with that, right? Familiar with a life that just pours and pours and pours into self and leaves the more meaningful things undone. And yet the more you accumulate, and the more accolades that you have, and the more comfort that you have, yet you're still left searching. You're still left unsatisfied. And that's how it is when we pour into that which is not permanent, that which will not remain, that which is not of the Lord. So the Lord comes to rebuke them. That's the first act. The second act is the Lord encourages them. This is in chapter, chapter 2. The Lord encourages the people to, to get busy, to get busy building this temple, get busy building a temple that is permanent. And the Lord promises, and this is the passage that we'll look at, the Lord promises that he will work in a way that will make their work successful. If you, if you give yourself to my work, I am going to establish something that is unthinkable. I will multiply your efforts um, and bless in a way that is unimaginable. Then the third act, he comes back to them. And he just says again, look, look at all that you've done, all that you've done. 
has been frustrated, all that you're pouring into, all that you're investing in, is just frustrated, and it's really because I've been frustrating it. So he says, you've been, you've been taking these harvests, um, and that which should, which should you know, you, 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 you plant your garden, and you're expecting to have, you know, 200 ears of corn, and, it's, and you only get half of it. And then um, you, you come and you, you press the fat out, and you think you can have all these vessels that, are, that should, be, should produce 50 vessels of, of wine, and you only have 20 vessels. Um, and here's what's happening, he says. He says, I was behind the scenes. I was actually smiting that corn with, mil- with blasting and mildew. I would send hail from heaven to, to stop the labors of your hands. Um, yet, it didn't get your attention. You, you didn't turn to me. So when, when you were in, when you were investing in yourself and not looking to me, and yet you weren't finding satisfaction, it was because I wasn't letting you be satisfied. And that was in mercy. My judgment and my, my hindrance of you getting all you wanted was in mercy, and yet you still wouldn't turn to me. So he says again to them, Consider now from this day and upward. This is in chapter 2, verse 18. From the four and twentieth day of the month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth, so it hasn't produced. He says, but from this day will I bless you. So he says again, turn to me. Turn to me. I will bless you. If you will, if you will obey me and follow me, I will bless you. You will, not, you will no longer be frustrated. You will no longer come to the end of the day and say, how do we work so hard and invest so much and yet still be so empty? Now, if, you, if that tracks with you at all, consider your ways. If you are investing and investing and investing and coming up empty every time, unsatisfied, frustrated, look to the Lord. It may be the Lord is hindering you to turn your attention back towards that which, which is truly matters and is permanent and is honoring to Him, and you will find satisfaction as you follow Him. Then the very last act is this. They're, they're under... Um, they're, they're still under sort of tribute. They're not, they're not totally in, uh, on their own because they're under uh, Persia. And he says to the governor, his name is Zerubbabel, he says, listen, he goes, I will shake the heavens and the earth and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them and the horses and the riders shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet. I will, I will make you like you have the, the king's royal ring, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. So he just closes with this promise that, that, listen, you are very small right now, and there are thrones and kingdoms that are, that are over you, and you have no real power, no real authority, but you listen to me, you obey me, you follow me, and I promise you this, I will shake the heavens, and it will be like you have the royal throne, and I will establish this throne forever. This is the promise Zerubbabel was in the line of David, and this is the promise that God will establish his promise to David to raise up his throne for an everlasting kingdom that will last forever and forever because the Lord has the power to shake the heavens and make this happen. So that's the sort of story of Haggai. It's a call to the people to consider their ways and to look to the one who is able to shake the earth and the heavens to bring about his purposes and to demonstrate his glory. Okay, that's sort of the the background. Now, let's get to the point of the shaking of the earth and the heavens. This is in chapter 2, um, verses, uh, verse 6. So Haggai 2, verse 6. And the verses that follow there. So, again, the context is, I want you to build my house. I want you to invest in my temple. I want you to, to, to put as much or more energy into my temple, into my place, into where I am, than you're putting into your houses and where you are. So he's calling them to live for the Lord and to honor the Lord. Well, again, the Lord probably doesn't seem very powerful to them. The temple has been wasted a long time ago. They have seen the power of the Babylonians. They've seen the power of the Assyrians. They've seen the power of the heathen nations. 
even in their initial building, they're going to be discouraged by those who would seek to, 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 over, to overthrow their, their efforts to build God's house. And God just doesn't seem that important. He seems like he's far away. Have you ever been there where the Lord just seems far away? You, you hear these words of preaching or read the Bible, it just seems like something that's, that's really removed from your everyday experience and just not that applicable, not that relevant, it just seems kind of dull and far away. And God's, God's encouraging them to, to trust him and to obey him and to follow him. And here's what he says to encourage them. Haggai 2 verse 6, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, we can stop there for a little bit and just think about the God of hosts. Jesus said that he could call 12 legions of angels to rescue him if he needed it. So the, Jesus is the one who has the host of heaven at his beck and call to, um, to, to do his, his, his uh, commands. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Again, what a powerful statement. Let's, friends, God is not lacking in any way. Sometimes we pray and we don't get the answers that we want in prayer. You ever been there? You pray for somebody to be healed. You pray for somebody to, you know, to be converted. Pray for somebody to, 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 to wake up. And, and our prayers just aren't being heard, aren't being answered the way that we want them to. You go, you know what? Maybe, just, maybe he doesn't see. Maybe he's not aware of what's happening right now. Um, maybe he just doesn't have the power to do things the way that he is. But friends, God is the Lord of Sabaoth. He's the Lord of Sabaoth. He is the Lord of hosts. He has all power. Let's keep reading. Thus saith this Lord of hosts, Yet once, it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. I'm going to shake the earth. I'm going to shake the heavens. The desire of all nations is going to come. The house will be filled with glory. The glory of this house will be greater than the former house. And there will be peace in this house. This is the promise of God. So the shaking of heaven and earth. Okay? Let's think about that for a little bit. The shaking of heaven and earth. This is the promise of God. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. What's he talking about? God is talking about his supernatural intervention. When God intervenes into history in a way that just completely upends history... Um, sometimes, literally, he can come into the earth and shake the earth. One of the places that is referenced here is, do you remember when Moses brought the, uh, when God brought the law uh, to Moses on Mount Sinai? And remember that scene there in Exodus 19 where he brought the law, and there's this fire that comes from heaven, and there's this smoke that's ascending on the mountain, and then the mountain starts to, to quake. This is the very earth, the earth that you and I stand on that is so permanent and so certain and is so fixed. God says, I can just speak and the earth is is shaken. So that everything that we rely on, everything that we stand on is left unstable. That's astounding, isn't it? We we, we live our lives with a certainty that when we, even with man-made things... That the light's going to turn green on one side. It's going to be red the other side. I'll be able to cross through safely on the green side because the red's going to stay stay fixed. That's a man-made thing. We can see that can malfunction at times. But even more fixed than that is the ground that we stand on. The the, the roads that we drive on. We build build houses onto foundations on ground because we we trust that we put all this money into these houses and they will be fixed. They'll sit there forever. There will be a permanent, safe place for us to live. And God says, I'm going to shake the earth and I'm going to shake the heavens. And when I do this, the whole earth is going to be upended. It's going to be broken up and changed and intervened in in a way that it will never be the same. Now, that's a scary thought, right, in, in some ways. Um, Luke's doing this project to show we're going to try to resist that. We're going to try to, 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 to fix our, our buildings in some kind of a way that even if the earth shakes, they can still stay stable. 
And God says, I'm going to shake the earth in a way that no man can resist. I'm going to shake the earth in the way that no man can stand up when I shake the earth in this way. Now, that's scary, but God is not talking about a scary thing here. He's talking about a wonderful thing here. I'm going to shake the earth in a way that the desire of all nations is going to come to this house. The desire of all nations is going to come. This is the, desire, the word desire means something that's precious. It's a treasure. A treasure is going to come into this house in such a way that glory is going to be seen everywhere. And the glory is going to cover the, the, uh, the, the house. It's going to be a greater glory than the former glory. And it's going to be a glory that's going to bring peace to this house. The gold and the silver, all the treasure is going to return to this house. And I, ha- I own the, the silver and I own the gold. And the house will once again be filled with glory. So God is expressing his authority over all. I can shake the earth and bring in this great glory. Well, what's he talking about? What is he promising here? Now, sometimes I, when I approach prophecies like Haggai, I, I just almost run scared away from them because if I, it, it frustrates me to not be able to just place every single thing perfectly and understand it all in its puzzle pieces the way that, and, and, and the picture the way that I would like. But I'm determined not to live that way. I'm determined to take as much from prophecies I know I can understand and glory in it. And then take that which I don't understand and continue to glory in it. Okay? So here's what he's talking about, first of all. Um, there, there are really two sort of meanings to the word desire here. Now, you may recognize the word desire. We sing the song, O come, O come, Emmanuel. May the desire of all nations come. He's talking about the coming of Jesus here. He's going to shake the earth. And the desire of all nations is going to come in as a result of him shaking the earth. And so let's just think for a minute about how that happens on the coming of Jesus. I'm going to shake the earth. I'm going to shake the heavens. Well, we, we have the star in the east and the heavens that is, that is leading to the place where the Son of God is. We have what we heard this morning of the heavenly host coming to join the angel in singing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. That's the heavens we're speaking, aren't they? We have the earth being, being shook. Not in a literal way when Jesus first came, but we have the earth was shaken by the coming of Jesus. Think about all the things that the coming of Jesus shook up in the earth. In the very beginning, the very beginning, the kings and those who were in authority were shaken by the announcement that there was a coming king who had arrived that might, um, that might um, be a, 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 a rival to their authority. Remember Herod's reaction to Jesus' coming? Herod was so shaken, he went, he, he went to unbelievable ends to try to make sure that Jesus could not live to become his rival. That Jesus and his parents had to flee and go off to Egypt for a while to to get to a safe place. He shook the nations. He shook the earth. Think about how that in in Jesus' ministry, the whole powers that were the religious structure was completely shaken up, wasn't it? Just roll on that for a while. All these ones who were the authorities who were the scribes and the Pharisees and the, the ones who knew um, uh, righteousness and truth, they were completely undone by this one who was clearly their superior and clearly had authority over righteousness and truth and Scripture. The Pharisees never could figure out how to deal with Jesus. The whole corrupt Jewish system was undone, eventually culminating in AD 70 when the Jerusalem was overrun by, uh, by the Romans and destroyed forever. The whole religious structure was completely shaken, completely broken up by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about the, um, this is the glorious thing, think about the shaking up of of, um, of, 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 of the known world as Acts d- depicts that in this effort to 
to, to quench this gospel of Jesus Christ, they poured forth this terrible persecution against the Christians in Jerusalem. And so they were scattered throughout the earth. And as they went throughout the earth, they came preaching the gospel. And in all kinds of places, the places that they landed in were turned upside down. Because the glorious gospel of Christ was brought to the conscious and the hearts of those whom were prepared to receive it. And they began to turn from their wickedness and turn to this new way, this way of following this Jesus who had lived and had died and had risen from the dead. They believed in the Messiah. Think about how that the whole, the whole uh, divide between Jew and Gentile was ripped apart by the coming of Jesus and the death and the burial of Jesus Christ as the middle wall of partition that stood between Jew and Gentile was forever and completely ripped away and the wall that stood between us and God was completely ripped away by Jesus Christ. You see, He's, he's, he's the desire. He is the precious one. He is the treasure of all treasures. Isn't that something that God would shake the earth not to destroy us? See, God has shaken the earth in judgment, and God will shake the earth in judgment. And in a very real way, God was shaking the earth in judgment uh, at the coming of Jesus. But He was also shaking the earth in great mercy, in great goodness to those who are His elect, aren't it? Wasn't He? God was shaking the earth to bring in the desire of nations that you and I might have life, we might have hope, we might have salvation, we might have righteousness, we might have peace. He truly is the desire. He's the most precious treasure there ever could be. Think about how Jesus shook the earth, how God shook the earth at the death of Jesus Christ. Remember how the the Bible tells us that all the kings of the earth and all the powers that were, that, that, that were there, they all consorted together to see how they could destroy this one named Jesus. And all the great wise men were together in this conspiracy. And in the death of Jesus Christ, he made a, he, he made a show of them openly. He destroyed all the wisdom of the world. Jesus stamped on the head of Satan, forever destroying him with the power of death. So that even you and I right now, as we're experiencing a lot of death around us, and maybe even more death to come to those that we love, even now we are not sorrowing without hope. Because Jesus destroyed the one who had the power of death. He who is the way and the truth and the life crushed the father of lies. So that you and I can come into truth and, and, and see rightly and see light and not, no longer walk in darkness. It's all because God shook the earth and He shook the heavens to bring in the desire of all nations, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Now there's another thing that this word desire means. I think it means in this text. In fact, if you were to read old commentators and new commentators, most old commentators think this is the desire is Jesus. And most new commentators think that the desire is, 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 um, is the precious thing that Jesus brought. So they think that it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's the Gentiles that he brought into the, the, the church. And the Gentiles that he brought into his house. And I say, you know what? Let's have both ends. Either way, it's good. Jesus truly is the desire of, of, of all nations. And also, and also, God is shaking the earth and the nations to bring in the precious things from, 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 from out of the earth, right? So the earth being all the heathen nations. God is bringing to himself from every nation and kindred and tongue and people those precious things that he, before the world began, deemed to be precious by electing sovereign grace, by choosing... Isn't that amazing how, that, how that we can see people like Abraham who were completely heathen and then all of a sudden become a faithful follower of, Jesus, of God? It's because God is determined to bring in, to bring in all, all of those whom He has loved and called from all eternity so that the world sees them as foolish and as unwise and as, as, as out of touch. But in reality, Jesus, God is about bringing in from all parts unknown all those whom He has loved from all eternity. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that you, if you are in Jesus Christ tonight, are among that number. 
You are a part of the desire. You you were a Gentile. You were without Christ. You were a stranger from his covenant of promise. You were without hope. You were without God in this world. That's just who you are as being a Gentile, but also personally you. You are a sinner. You are offensive to God. You have no right to claim His love and no right to claim His, 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 His favor and His protection. And yet God in His good grace is shaking the earth, shaking, has shaken up your life to bring you into His number and to bring you into His house and to bring you among His people. And the glory of this house is greater than the, than the, than the former house. Isn't that true? The temple of God today, the people of God, the church of God is far more glorious And the former house, the former house was filled with gold and with silver and with precious things and with all these um, these things that 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 that, that signified this meeting of heaven and earth. But now, the temple of God is actually the meeting of heaven and earth in a real way. Isn't that something? That right now in your hearts, Christ is in your heart by faith, according to Ephesians two. That right now, according to Colossians, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. So that what is happening in your, in, 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 in your personal existence, in your body, in your heart, in your life, the living God has shaken you and has opened up your vile and hard heart and now dwells within you. So that you're able to bring to Him through repentance and through, um, and through coming to Him for, in need and through worship and through praise. You're able to bring to Him a living sacrifice. And you as a living stone together with the rest of the church are being built up a spiritual house that brings great glory to God. Isn't that something? I want you to see who we are because the desire of nations has come. Because God has shaken the earth and shaken the sky to reveal His Son, Jesus Christ. How glorious. How glorious. Man, that's wonderful, isn't it? Well, let's look at one more place. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 says the same thing. Hebrews 12 alludes to this text in Haggai. You see, by the way, I love the word desire there. I love the fact that the translators use the word desire. Because here's the thing about Jesus. Here's the thing about the one who came 2,000 years ago. Let me ask you this. Was he the object of desire? Decidedly, no. When he was born, there was no room for him and them in the end, was there? By the time he was two years old, they're already running as refugees into Egypt. Refugees. Jesus was a refugee. Isn't that something? Not wanted in his country, except to, 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 to kill him. Exiled, running in fear for his life. Being brought back. His own people, his own like neighbors. Family didn't want him. The religious authority hated him. Pilate agreed to kill him. As Isaiah says, he was, there was no form or comeliness about him that we would desire him. Isn't that something? The true desire, the true treasure... It seemed to be anything but a treasure. And let me tell you something. This world, I don't just mean, I don't mean, I don't just mean the message, although the message is there. I just mean living in the world and looking at the things that are seen will tell you the exact same thing. Will tell you, will seek to convince you that the desire of all nations is no treasure at all. But true treasures are found in things like houses that can be shaken. See, God has a shaker table. I was interested in reading in the, in, the, uh, in, in, the, in the thing. It says that the U of M owns three shaker tables. But one of them doesn't work. So only two are available for this, this project. I just was thinking about that. You know, 
That's sad. The university needs more money to be able to keep the things going. And I bet you, I bet you they don't have enough to just in their budget. And, and um, I just thought, but God's not like that. There is nothing inhibiting him, hindering him from being able to shake the earth to bring about his purposes. That should lead you to confidence in prayer, shouldn't it? Lord, you are the shaker of heaven and earth. The great proof of that is Jesus, his coming, his work, his accomplishment, his ascension. He shook the heavens and the earth. And the great proof of that personally is what he has done in me. That he has shaken my life. And I am not where I want to be yet. But he has shaken me to bring me into the glory of his presence and his fellowship and his, and, and, and his life. Praise the Lord for that. All right. So Hebrews 12. Turn there for a minute. Hebrews 12. He says he, he's going to refer to another shaking and bring that shaking to bear with this shaking. Okay. So here's, here's how it works. Hebrews 12 Verse um, 18. He's speaking to believers in Jesus Christ here. He's speaking to shaky believers in Jesus Christ. They're, they're shaky because they've been shaken by the, by the people around them and the circumstances of life and the sadness of life and the, uh, the conflict of life and the opposition from those who don't love Jesus. Does that sound any familiar? Have you ever felt shaky? Like, I don't know how I can do this. I'm not sure I can do this. And, and, and in, maybe not with your activities, like so come to church, but maybe in your heart. You just begin to withdraw slowly and slowly and slowly from just full-fledged trust in the Lord. Ever been there? And it feels like, you know, if I just keep myself not feeling, as if we can do that. If I can just keep myself cold as ice, then I won't be shaken anymore. So I'm just going to withdraw myself into this safe place, and I'll be protected there, and I, and I, won't, have, I won't have any danger. And that's where these people are right here. They're, they're, they're tempted to withdraw from just full-fledged trust in the Lord. And the whole book of Hebrews is written to say, don't do that. Don't do that. Do you know what a treasure Jesus is? That's what Hebrews is about. Do you know what a treasure? Do you know what a, what a help? Do you know how he's able to, Hebrews 2, how he's able to succor you? That means how he's able to come to your aid and just care for you and aid you and, and help you along. Do you know that Jesus is touched by your infirmities? Do you know that Jesus is the one who right now sits at the right hand of the majesty on high? Did you know that Jesus by himself purged your sins? That your sins are no longer an enemy. Your sins are no longer the, the, the weight that threatens to drown you because Jesus by himself purged your sins. Did you know that Jesus is faithful? More faithful than Moses? Did you know that Jesus has brought his people, chapter 4, to a better, more permanent, deeper, forever rest than Joshua did when he brought them into Canaan? When Joshua brought the people to Canaan, he was able, by God's help, to be able to destroy enemies by marching around a wall seven times. And the walls would fall flat. Did you know that Jesus is able to fight your battles for you even better than that? Isn't that something? There's a greater rest, he says in Hebrews 4. Hebrews 5, 6 and 7 says, Did you know that Jesus is the greatest high priest? That, that you are still struggling with your sins. I know you are. But the reality is that all the blood of all the animals, of all the faithful priests, and about all the faithful priests, could not ever take away one guilt, one stain of guilt from your sin. But Jesus has forever and finally and completely removed your stain of guilt. 
Did you know he would say in Hebrews, 5, that, Hebrews 7 that Jesus, who is interceding for you on the cross, now continues to intercede for you? In fact, he ever lives. Jesus never sleeps. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Because Jesus is always before the Father, making intercession for you. Isn't that wonderful? You have an advocate that you cannot imagine. You don't have enough money to pay for this advocate. You don't have enough money in the world to pay for all the lawyers you need. You have a perfect advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, and He is given to this. In fact, in other words, He is enthusiastic about ever living to make intercession for you. This is what Hebrews is about. Hebrews is about Jesus. And so He says this to them here. He goes, listen, you're not come to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was where the law was given. The law was good. And when, G- when, when God brought the law, he shook the earth. He was wanting to get their attention. Let's read this. Hebrews twelve eighteen. For you're not coming to the mount that might be touched and that burn with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. So they were such a fearful sight, they ran from it. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through the dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. So again, I read that fast, but this Sinai was this, this declaration, this display of the glory of God. And the glory of this holy God causes every finite being to just tremble and quake and move away from to be repelled by because he's so glorious and we're so unholy. He says, but you're not coming to that mountain. Because Jesus went to that mountain. Truly, right? Jesus went to where the law was um, displayed, where the law was judged, and it happened at Calvary, friend. At Calvary. The law stood to bear. The commandment of ordinance that was against us was brought there. And it was displayed before all. And it was born on the back of Jesus. Does that make sense? The law, all of God's law, and all the violations of God's law, by all those whom Christ was representing, was all brought to Calvary. And so the wrath of God was poured out at Calvary Because the law was broken. So Calvary is a place. In fact, after Calvary, what happened? After Calvary, when Jesus died, what happened? The earth quaked. The earth could not contain the, really just the intensity of this moment when the Son of God bore the wrath of God for the law of God that was broken by countless men and women and children against His holy name. Calvary's a fearful sight, isn't it? But he says, you're not come to Sinai because Jesus went to Calvary. Instead, you are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of just men made perfect. You go, wait a minute, we're not in heaven yet. How are we coming together? Friend, in a very real way, heaven and earth meet. We are a part of, right now, we are a part of the promise that Jesus Christ is returning and that we, um, in some small way, together with the saints that are already gone to glory and with the angels that are there right now, we together are worshiping and being brought to the living God. Isn't that wonderful? You miss Ronnie, of course, but your hope is that Ronnie right now, without sin, in salvation, is worshiping God. And so tonight, you are coming together with him in a real way. Isn't that beautiful? We, all the saints, in some real way, coming together to bring worship to the living God. And we're received, we're accepted, we're not, we're, not, we're not forbidden, we're not cast out. Why? Because we're brought to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling, he is his blood covering our sins that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Let me just mention that for a minute. What does Abel's blood cry for? What does Abel's blood cry for? You know, the, the voice of God, is st- uh, the, the ear of God is still hearing the blood of Abel. What is it crying for? 
It's a cry for justice, isn't it? Remember what happened to Abel? Abel brought a, a, a faith sacrifice to God. And what did he receive instead? He received the hatred of his brother, and his brother slew him and then hid him. Yet God still sees that, doesn't he? So Abel's blood, even right now, is crying out for vengeance. Make this right. Justice. But he says, you're coming to a different blood. You're coming to the blood of Jesus. And what is it crying for? It's saying that vengeance has been meted out on Jesus Christ. So you're crying for the blood. You're coming to the blood of Jesus. It says, justice has occurred. Justice has been meted out, and it wasn't against you. You are free. You are redeemed. You're holy. Your sins have, that were as scarlet have been made white as snow. Though they were red like crimson, you now are covered in robes of wool if you are in Jesus Christ. Is that where you're coming tonight? And so he says to them, you have come to this, so therefore, see that ye refuse not him that speaketh. Do not turn your ear off from the voice of God. The one that shook the heavens to bring in the desire of all nations, hear him. For if they escape not who refuse him that spake on earth, that's Moses, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Let me just stop there for a minute. I think he's referring here to the whole Jewish system. That in AD 70 was finally and fully and completely destroyed. It was gone. It was something that was made of men. And yet now it's gone. He goes, you need to put your hope and your trust in something that cannot be remained even when it's shaken. Let me read that again. That those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Is there anything in this earth that cannot be shaken? Is there anything? Is there any building that can be so seismically fit with enough rebar and, and steel and iron and bracing to withstand an earthquake? No. Is there any life, any human, who can eat the right groceries and do the right exercise and live in the right environment to never lose their health? Of course not. Is there any philosophy of life that can lead to such wisdom that we can get past mistakes and conflict and sin? Of course not. There's nothing, nothing, nothing here that cannot be shaken. But we have received a kingdom which cannot be moved. Isn't that something? We've received a kingdom which cannot be moved. Because the shaker of heaven and earth is also the maker of the kingdom that cannot be moved. It's glorious. So therefore let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. We have now received this kingdom. We are in the kingdom that cannot be moved. And... We are still waiting. Second Peter 3, we are still waiting for the final shaking of the kingdom, of, of the earth, right? There will be one more shaking. So right now, we are in the kingdom by faith. God has given us faith. And we're able to see things that can't be seen. We, 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 don't, we, we look for things that are not seen. We believe that the world is framed by God, by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. So we are experiencing the kingdom of God, the reign of God over our lives, and we trust the reign of God over all of creation by faith right now. And we are expecting, because He has promised it, that He's going to come one more time to shake this earth, and that element is going to melt with a fervent heat. And it's all going to be dissolved. And then then from that is going to arise this new heavens and this new earth where dwelleth righteousness. And every body 
lying in the grave, is going to be reformed in glorious, incorruptible state. It cannot be moved. You see, incorruptible can't be moved. Corruptible must be moved. Incorruptible cannot be moved. And that's what he's going to do with your body if you are in Jesus Christ. So therefore, so, so, the, so the so what to this whole, the, king, the, the, the heavens will be shaken and the desire will come in. So, so what, so what, a couple of things. In terms of the present, in terms of the present, two things, be encouraged. This is what it was all written about, right? Be encouraged in your labor in the Lord. Listen, if, if, we, if our eyes are focused on shaking things, You'll be discouraged. You'll, stop, you'll, start, you'll start building your house and not the, not the house that, 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 that matters. But he's saying, be encouraged. You are walking by faith, trusting in the God who shakes the earth and the heavens. Be encouraged. Secondly, what is your present direction? Are you one who God would say, hey, consider your ways. I think you're investing a lot more in your house than you are in my house. Your house can be shaken. My house cannot be moved. Okay? So consider your ways. What direction are you walking in tonight? And then in terms of the future, this is a message all about hope, isn't it? Hope. You see, the, the, the hope of the future, the hope of the future is what empowers the present walk, isn't it? This is what Hebrews 11 says. They, they, had a, they had an opportunity to go back to their country. They said, you know what? We're looking for a better country. We're looking for a country whose builder maker is God. So our hope, we are trusting. Now, where does that hope come from? The hope comes from God proving himself over time. And God's proof over time is that Jesus Christ came. The desire of all nations has actually come. The greatest treasure there's ever been, the treasure that God could give, has already made His entrance into the world and has died for our sins and risen from the grave for our life and our resurrection. So God is faithful to His promises. You can live in hope. Will you live in hope tonight? Will you live in hope the shaker of heaven and earth has brought in the desire of all nations? that you and I might be able to walk in a kingdom that cannot be moved and look forward to the full um, display of the kingdom which shall reign forever and forever and forever. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. May God bless you is my prayer.